Welcome to Paper Quest. I'm Jesse. And I'm James. And we're two friends teaming up in our ongoing quest through the Infinite Library. Each episode, we get together to discuss our latest buddy read, swap stories on our recent solo reads, and talk about the upcoming books we look forward to reading next. This is Paper Quest. <laughs> So these past couple weeks, since we haven't done an episode in a while, I actually got to read some books I can talk about. What about you? I read and listened to quite a bit. So Okay. I've done maybe three I can talk about. What about you? Um, eight. <laughs> that's, I was waiting for a big number, but that's a lot. So how about you start? Okay. So I will say it's, these are groupings. Um. So I read the seventh Bridgerton novel. Yes. By far my favorite so far. Hi- it uh, focuses on Hyacinth, who's the youngest Bridgerton. And she is fabulous. She's way better than Eloise in the shows. Like, I think everyone really likes that character. It's Hyacinth all the way. We didn't know, but now we know. <laughs> it's It was great every minute. Um. So, highly recommend that. Is that book series, is that series done, or is that still going? It is done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want me to do some more? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, I also read the seventh Wayward Children's book, and this is, um, it's called Where the, Where the Drowned Girls Go by Sean and McGuire, and that's the series where kids who, like, um, fall into Neverland and come back, or go to... Um, Wonderland and come back, it's the kids who come back and how they like yes, have okay. to adapt to real life. Um, so this one follows a girl that is in, she's like a side character in the others, Cora, and she's a mermaid and she decides it's too hard to constantly be waiting for her door to open back up to where she, her homeland. Um, so she goes to a school that is the opposite that tries to teach you that it was just a dream. Okay, weird. So you basically, yes, you have like the opposite school and you get to get introduced to that, which was interesting. And then I was painting a room and so I listened to three cozy mysteries. Um, They're the Cape Bay Mysteries by Harper Lynn um, and they're pure cozy mysteries. It's a local coffee shop owner. She happens upon murders and... She happens to investigate and solve them. This is the lifetime of books. Like, this is just... <laughs> yeah. I remember I I was logging something in, in my Goodreads, and I saw those books pop up in a row, and I was like, you're going hard over there. I feel like I'm left in the dust. <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to them, and they're like, marzipans and mimosas and murder and yes, things like the that. the names are great. Yeah, so they were a lot of fun, and they were just easy to listen to as I was doing this doing this manual labor. Um, so I have a couple more, but what's something that you have read? I'll throw one in. Um, this is the book that maybe some listeners have realized a podcast did not come out for it. This is mm. well, this was going to be a main quest. It's called The Explorer's Guild. Bless you for finishing it. Uh, yeah. Simply put, not, not a good book. Um, I have it as... It was so hard to get through that I actually had to skim through the rest of it and... There was no proper way that we could have done a legit talk about it. Like, I could not get through it well enough to form 
I just wouldn't have enough info. Like by, by the time I was halfway through this 800 page book, I was skimming to get the rest of the story and skipping things and just like, it, it wouldn't be proper to do a podcast on this because it's just not, I just don't have it all. Like I'm just flying through it with no thought or care in the world. I gave it two stars out of five. The second star only exists because the book itself is freaking gorgeous. It is. I would just look at the pictures. Yeah. They've all the all the pages are look it's meant to seem like a journal that someone's passed to you to read and all the pages are browned and it's part comic, part novel, and it's got really great artistic just like flourishes throughout. Um it's written by one person, I think, and then um drawn by like two other people it should be amazing i picked i picked it up thinking like indiana jones or uncharted like i wanted to get like this is the this is the the lost city of shambhala and this is the journey of how we got there like that's what it's supposed to be is like finding the lost city but it is such a boring nothing boring nothing book like it's not exciting they stay in the same place for way too long and it's meant to be written like an old-fashioned like entry like it just comes off very textbooky and that's not what i was looking for it felt like i was reading a history textbook and anytime we got to the novel parts of it i was glazing over like i was falling asleep and when i got to the comic part of it it was better because it was fast-paced quick you know quick sentences and dialogue and i could visually see what's happening but the story with no matter if i'm reading the comic part or the novel part the story was boring. There was no adventure until the very end. I just feel like not... Like, there were things here and there, but I was just like, God, I can't do this. This is just the worst. Yeah. So we could not do a podcast on it. It was impossible to get through. No, I only made it maybe 100 pages, maybe. But I should say, I think it's fair to say, I don't I don't like this book, but I don't think it's a bad book. This book is done yeah. well in what it's doing, and I guarantee you somebody out there loves this for the way that it reads like an old-fashioned like journal or diary. And it's it's I feel like this book is good, but it's not for me because mm-hmm. it is cool. And I've seen good reviews for it, but I can't. This is a mess. <laughs> Starting off on a negative note, but I on know. to you. <laughs> yeah, so the next thing that I listened to was... Um, the Bromance Book Club number two. I think I've mentioned this before, yes. and it's it. I have said numerous times to myself that I think men should read m- romance novels because it really explains the things we want. And this is literally a group of macho men, so they're like hockey players and rock stars and all these things who use um, romance novels as their manuals to help them be better in their marriages or relationships or what have you. Okay. Um, and this was good. It's a enemies to lovers. Um, I wouldn't, I would recommend it, but it wasn't as good as the first. And maybe it's now cause I like understand exactly what's happening. Um, and I actually, I did read the third one as well, which I liked better than the second one. Um, but again, it's, it's just different characters that, Like, they've added on, you're like, oh, they mentioned this guy, and now that's who we're focusing on. Okay, yep. Um, So, it was good. I like them. They're fun to listen. I've I've listened to all of them. Um, And the narrator's good, and it's enjoyable. Um, And it's it's fun because it's from a man's perspective. So, you see the things as as a girl where you're like, she just wants you 
to like, you know, follow after her as she's having a temper tantrum. And he's over there like getting drunk or whatever, being like, she hates me. And his friends come around and they're like, no, you got to go to page 400 of the manual. And like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's so <laughs> it's funny. Good. It's it, it makes me laugh a lot. So I think that's why I enjoy it. Okay. No, that sounds, that just sounds like a fun read. Yeah, yeah. it is. What do you got? Um, I had a bad couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. The next two books I have are bad books. Okay. So. And um, I think this is also a very divided book after I Googled, on, I Googled it online. Um, I read Foundation by a- Isaac Asimov, which is like, you know, like the sci-fi guy, like the, hmm. the, the father no, of I sci-fi. No, I didn't, but I believe you. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Isaac Asimov is a very big name. Very, very big name. And I read Foundation, which is, like, supposed to be, like, one of the sci-fi works. I wasn't here for it. I did not like okay. it. It's, it try it's, the story it's trying to tell is this big, epic story. Like, it's so far in the future, and we've come so far in our galaxy, and hundreds or even thousands of planets have now been, you know, inhabited. And the, the world we start on, the whole world itself is now one big city. That's how big it's gotten. And that city itself is so big that most of it has gone underground. There's not a real sky. It's all, like, fake, and Mm. you can't really see the bottom, per se. And, you know, and and the emperor has one part in that entire planet that has, like, grass. Like, it's only his part left that's not city. So grass is, like, bougie. Yeah, and other, other worlds have purposes. Like, that world is for farming, and they can bring it over here since we can't farm and stuff like that. And the whole point is, okay, yes. So there is these people that are into psychohistory. Basically, they're so good at math or analysis or something that they can statistically accurately predict what the future will hold on a large scale term, like on a large scale form. Like they can't tell you where you're going to be in 50 years, but they can tell you where everything's going to be in 50 years. And they basically predicted the downfall of the galaxy and the emperor isn't happy with that because uh, you know yeah you know how the story goes so they banished the, the characters to a planet to to create the foundation they're gonna like catalog history for the next wave of people after this barbarian period has occurred and it's got this epic feel to it but it turns out when you're actually reading the book you're just stuck in little rooms it's like suffocating scenarios of like dry conversation and how will the next thing happen and it's just politics and we don't see the big picture we're just stuck inside with a bunch of old men and women discussing like the whole book is just talking and talking and talking and it's divided into five parts and i realized that the book the mix-up foundation is five short stories they get progressively more boring as you read them (laughs) and that's looking up reviews because i was like i think i'm supposed to like this book but i am definitely not alone like they did not go full big picture with it i mean it's old sci-fi don't get me wrong it's it's old sci-fi it's dry it's political it's not like your space epics you get today i've always wanted to read it and then the catalyst was it's an apple tv show now and i've now watched episode one and the show is so much better than the book and so much of it is made up because so much of the book does not exist. <laughs> but that's where I'm at with that. All right. So I also had a dud of a book. Um, if you've listened to any podcast that we've ever done, I talk about Hades and Persephone retellings a what? lot. 
And I was reading two at the same time. <laughs> so I paused one. I'm going back to that. But I read a book called The Goddess Test. Um, and basically it's this girl moves back with her mom to her mom's hometown so her mom can die there because she has cancer. And um, she's going back to high school. She's only or she's just barely 18. And her one of her friends from high school dies and a handsome stranger comes and magically saves the can has the ability to save the friend's life. Um, but the bargain for him to do that is that she will spend six months of her life living in this mansion with this stranger. Um, and that is, um, Hades, but he goes by Henry in the book. Um, so, and she's Persephone and in the original, you know, Greek mythology, um, Persephone stays six months below in the underworld and six months of her life, um, doing whatever she wants. And that's when spring happens. Um, they, for her to officially be his partner, wife, um, and not be murdered, she has to face seven tests. And she was like the whole time, this is, this is not a spoiler unless you're six. There are seven tests that each represent the seven sins. And she's like, how is this a test? How is that a test? And I'm like, have you never read any history ever? Um, but maybe that's just me being, you know, I don't know. I saw, I saw that book go up on your Goodreads and I saw the review and the goddess test was like a curious name. So I, I pressed it. I looked at the, the summary and then I saw your review and I was scrolling through the other reviews on there. It was, it was a good laugh. It was funny. <laughs> I, I don't usually ever read other reviews. So, um, it was like a really cool idea, mm-hmm. really poorly executed. Like she was just clearly he's in love with her and she's over there like, why does he hate me so much? And why was like, it's like, yeah. no, like he's protecting you from these mean gods and goddesses. Like, I don't know. It was, she was just, it was too much. It was, or not enough. <laughs> now, do you ever, do you ever get exhausted on those characters or could you just read these two characters forever? I like seeing the different ways people do it. The portrayals? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, in the same way that, like, you know the movie Clueless from, like... Oh, yeah. Whatever, the 90s? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's or, even or, earlier or, than that, but yeah. Um, I remember watching it as a kid. That is based on Emma, like, the classical novel. I did not know that. That's hilarious. And so I love all of those. Like, I always okay. have. Um, so you never get burnt out. No. <laughs> Not I'm, yet. I have books like that, too. I was just curious. Um, do you have one more? I, I have one, one more. I'm maybe 70% through with it. Okay. It's by far so, so great um, compared to the things I've read so far. <laughs> I'm reading The Martian by Andy Weir. Oh. Like the one that's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've always been curious. I don't know what made me pick it up. I know what it was. He has a new book out called newer book out called Project Hail Mary, and mm-hmm. I was like, I've really got to start reading these this guy's books because he's really big, and I love it. At first, it was a little hard, like because he's stranded on Mars, and it's a realistic take on what's going on. There is, of course, like a lot of like science and numbers and. It's understandable, but sometimes you glaze over like there's a lot of science and numbers going on and a lot of explanations. You're you're kind of just waiting for the next thing. But it's not so bad. I get it. That's fine. It's it's not a bad thing whatsoever. But it's telling a few different points in the story. Um, it's telling him stuck on Mars 
and then it's telling the story of everyone back on Earth realizing he's been stranded and like mm. he doesn't think anyone knows that he's alive due due to a freak accident. They had to leave without him because I thought he died. They're headed back towards Earth, which takes like ten months or something. And of course, this is like slightly in the future. And so he's stranded on Mars, and he's like, "Well, I've got to survive until the next um, Mars landing, which is like such and such years away." Mm-hmm. So he's got to learn how to like grow potatoes and stuff and survive until the next one lands and, and finds out, "Hey, he's alive the whole time." But what he doesn't realize is on Earth, by complete accident. Someone in a satellite imagery of Mars realizes that something has shifted and, and like it couldn't move without human mm. contact. And like, crap, he's alive. And now he's a global phenomenon. And everyone's like watching him every single day. Like he's part of the news every single day. And meanwhile, on Mars, he has no idea. And it's Aww. just so interesting. Like he just thinks he's lost. And on, back on Earth, he's like an overnight Mars celebrity. It's just like, and then we, we just have to figure out how they're going to get him back. Mm. And it's super exciting because. You know he's going to have problems. How are they going to get him back? How is he going to stay alive on Mars so they can get him? And it's just like, it's intense. It's like a, yeah. it's like a thriller. It's so fun. I love it. That's interesting. I that's something I've heard of both of those books, um, and it's something that I didn't realize would be interesting. But that you your explanation, I'm like I might actually want to read that. Yeah, so. like the first few chapters or so, because all and he's also very sarcastic, and it's all told through his like log entries and like he's just extremely sarcastic and he's like well no one's gonna see these i'll write whatever i want and blah 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 yeah but now i'm really excited to see how the movie does it because i i when i read these words i'm like i see why this is a movie this is gonna make a very on your edge you know on the on the edge of your seat kind of movie and that brings me to now so i have nothing left what do you got so i had one more and this was uh again i was doing like Yard work and cleaning, so I wanted something to listen to. Um, and so I just searched, like, what's available mm-hmm. on my um, Libby app. And they had a story called Fly with the Arrow. And it's a Bluebeard retelling, which I don't know the story of Bluebeard. Like a pirate? Like Blackbeard? What is Bluebeard? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, but it's they, they start it with that. And there's, like, I think there's, like, an old storybook called Bluebeard because... They, um, at the start of each chapter, there's quotes and they'll say from like the 1889, um, Bluebeard translation by so-and-so. Um, and I had high hopes for it. Basically, um, this, you know, lady, like French folktale. Interesting. This, this lady, like, um, you know, like Lady Jane or whatever. Um, she goes to court with her father to find a husband she he finds her a husband. He's like a horse breeder. He um, she basically makes a mistake that no one told her not to do, and this mythical being, which is Bluebeard, shows up, and he literally has a blue beard, and everything about him is blue, and like no one in the court will wear blue. Um, double D, double die. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's all I can think. And he's um, and no one knows his real name. They just call him that, Bluebeard. Um, and the rule is, is that whoever, for like centuries, whoever or whatever greets him is his. Oh. And so at, she walks back into the room after making this major faux pas and everyone is silent and like, try not to cry, try not to look at him. Like, literally it's like a, a, like playing a game of freeze tag and everyone's frozen. 
And she's, like, walking through not knowing, and she's like, whoa, this dude, like, is crazy. And he's, like, grabbing at the princess and stuff. And um, It's like a worse Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> yeah, and he's basically like, you won't greet, you know, a foreign king or whatever he is. And she's like, of course I will, because she doesn't know. And he immediately um, takes her as his wife, and she comes to find out she is his 16th wife because they all have died. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it the whole book felt like the book was starting, oh. if that makes sense. No, it does. That's that's kind and, of unfortunate. Was well, it bad? Or I would give like a two. Okay. <laughs> um, the thing that was really interesting, though, was there was some sort of rule where they, she could only speak during the day to him, and he could only speak at night, but they could never speak to each other. And so it was literally like, like he has a magical fire and she's like, you know, fire, would you like some more of my Lord's books? Cause he's like ignoring her and she's mad. <laughs> and so he's like throwing stuff into the fire and the fire is literally going like, mm, so good, like more. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> a lot of personification going on there. Yeah. Well, and they like kill someone and. I think his name's like Buckbeak. No, that's that's, that's Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. <laughs> but it's something beak. And she ends up carrying him around on like a hobo stick, just uh-huh. his head. And he talks to her and gives her tips. And it's like, I don't know. It's all very weird. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And it sounds like an old fashioned folktale, weird nonsense thing. I'm pretty sure there's more books. I'm not, I can't do it. No. <laughs> so. I'm, you finished it? I, I listened to it. I finished it. Just pure out of like... I you had think, to. No, like I kept thinking it was going to get going. And then I was like, we're at 90%. Like what? Yeah. I, as like an OCD completionist, like even when it's a bad book, I had to finish it sort of thing. Like, no, I can't. I just... Well, I got to know how it ends, even though this is horrible. Like, you know, foundation. I, I just like, well, I'll finish this or not because I had the book. Yeah. But I was like... I'll just set the speed really fast in audio and get through this because I can't do this, but I can't just have half a half finished book on my, on my brain. Like, yeah. I just can't do it. So I finished it. I'm not reading the next one. I would be interested in good Bluebeard retellings now that I know that that story exists, <laughs> but I don't know that any good ones exist. So if anyone yeah, knows, knows, comment somewhere, socials, please tell me. Disney will base something off of it. Who I'm knows? sure. Maybe they have. But in better news... We have our buddy book, which was... In the best of news, oh my God. More than two stars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to talk about this. We'll have you start with a summary. Yeah. Um, so we read A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. And I pulled this from the back of the book just because I felt like it encompassed everything. It's kind of hard to write your own, like you were saying earlier, because yeah. it's a mystery thriller. You don't yes. want to give anything away on accident, so... Yes. Um, When Chloe Davis was 12, six teenage girls went missing in her small Louisiana town. By the end of summer, her own father had confessed to the crimes and was put away for life, leaving Chloe and the rest of her family to grapple with the truth and try to move forward while dealing with the aftermath. Now, 20 years later, Chloe is a psychologist in Baton Rouge and getting ready for her wedding. While she has finally a fragile grasp on happiness she's worked so hard to achieve, she sometimes feels as out of control as of her own life as the troubled teens who are her patients. So when a local teenage girl goes missing, and then another, that terrifying summer comes crashing back. 
Is she paranoid, seeing parallels from her past that aren't actually there? Or, for the second time in her life, is Chloe about to unmask a killer? So, dun, dun, dun. yeah. <laughs> spoiler three. Spoiler three. Spoiler free initial thoughts review. Um, I love a book like this. I think we've seen a pattern. I like cozies. I like romance. I like vampire werewolves. And I like mysteries. Mm-hmm. That's... And if there's a history element to any of it, I love that too. Um, so I was excited and I I was interested because I had heard a lot of people bring this up on YouTube um, and no one said a bad word about it. They were like, this is a great book. Read this book. Um, and I trust them at this point because I've taken a lot of recommendations and I was like, if... if all of them are raving about it. It has to be good, right? Um, and all I knew was the back portion. So I was excited. I did really end up enjoying it. Um, and it was, again, I have a pacing thing. It was a good pace. It was quick. It was a perfect pace. Yeah. It was It was interesting from page one for me. Yeah. Uh, if we do some sort of year in, you know, our favorite books of the year, this might make the top list wow. unless something. And that's coming from somebody that reads sci-fi fantasy. It's only so June. for a so for a general fiction novel. Yeah. Going into this, I did not know what I was reading, um, which was evidence when I told you I confused this for the vampire book we were going to read. Yes. And I was like, "There's no vampires in this book. No vampires. Uh, no vampires." So I don't read a lot of books like this. General fiction does not usually come across my shelf. Um, until this year when yeah, we started we are, doing like Pyrenees and stuff like we that. We are definitely pushing each other out of each other's comfort And zone. I'm so glad because yeah. this is not a book I'd ever pick up. And I'm 100% glad that I read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I gave it five stars. I think I gave it four. You gave it four. I saw yeah. it. I was mad at you because it's five stars. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get Because it means you it. can't reread it. I know. <laughs> but no. Um, the pacing is there and the detail, the meticulous detail and the way that everything works out. And the way that everything connects. Mm-hmm. Everything you read, even if it doesn't seem important, all of a sudden, like 200 pages later, matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say too much, I guess, yet, till we jump into things. But this author knows what she's doing. And this is a book from this year, right? This is a brand this, spanking new book. Her first book. Yeah, this is her first novel. She better write more. Because I, I got really deep into, like, when I finished it, I was like, I need to know more. And, like, what has she done? And how old is this book? You know, is this, is this a relevant, like, podcast review for us? And I was like, oh, this is new on all levels. Like, yep. this is amazing. So that's really exciting to get into as well. But without saying anything more, that's that's my thoughts. Yeah, just read it. And uh, now we're going to talk about spoilery things because... There's so much. <laughs> I mean, there was... Yeah, so full spoilers now. Yeah. And w- you started reading it just a few days before I jumped into it because I was finishing freaking foundation but you were like i can't put this down i'm speed reading it you know you you basically like rush through the back half and i started reading it and i was like okay i'm getting general fiction vibes like this is this is gonna be a, a regular book this is the this is not the vampire novel i thought it was but it goes so hard so fast like once you get into it it's just like you like when i got halfway through I reached the point you were when you said you had to get you had to get through it. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I stopped everything I was doing 
and for the next four hours on my couch, I finished it. Yeah, I'm like, pretty sure <sighs> it was like a when it was like a school night, not that I go to school, but a work day, and I was like, I can't go to sleep. Yeah, I, I had have to. to finish it. Yep. Um, and I was so glad I did. There was a certain scene where like. I don't want to. Like, I hate using the word twist a lot because books are meant to have surprises, right? Yeah, yeah. There's not like, oh my god, mind blowing twist, but there's a few really good twists. And when you hit that first twist, I was like, was I right the whole time? And then you're not because you could never freaking guess it. I was right. <laughs> I will say, I wrote because um, I messaged you and I was like, I I think it's one of two people. And page eighty nine is when I messaged you, and I one of those two people was the person who it was. So. Let's go through the people. Okay, yeah. I was right on accident, but I can't rightfully claim I was right. Because okay. I had two other guesses first that I thought were real. My my real true guess when I got it right was an accident sort of joke thing, so okay. it doesn't count. All right, so we'll get there. But our main character is Chloe Davis. Like I said in the summary, she was 12 when the murders started happening. And she actually found the evidence in a closet, her parents' closet, which was a jewelry box full of the victim's stuff from that summer when she was 12 little um, knickknacks yeah yeah and turned it into the police and that's what got her father convicted so she was the reason her father got life sentences and the reason her family was torn apart i mean her father it was messes the reason. her up yeah yeah um and so she becomes a psychologist and in louisiana how these things go now she's a psychologist go figure yeah i don't know if this is true but in louisiana she and in the book she could prescribe medication so normally a psychiatrist has to do that um in the rest of the states um but where she is the rule is she can so she writes prescriptions for her husband and other people and picks them up and takes them so she's like drugged half the time and they make a big point of that she tells the audience she tells the reader she's like it's actually kind of dumb how you can walk into like any sort of walmart or whatever and say hey i'm picking my, my grandma's medicine up her birthday is blah 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 okay thanks yeah. like it's scary how easy that is but we very quickly realize that she is very flawed um because she goes and does that and then she gets home and her lights are off and she starts panicking and she's like going into hyper mode and she's freaking out and um her husband is throwing her a surprise party or her fiance at the time fiance yeah is throwing her a surprise party and it scares the living daylights out of her um and we'll talk about her her husband in a second but she her brother is like he has no idea how terrified you are of everything like she's terrified of life well he sees her like mid-handed purse looking for like the pepper spray or whatever yeah yeah um because she has been tormented since she was 12 about the fact that her father did this and the boogeyman was in her own house so she has all this trauma that she's like academically knows how to handle but is not handling it she's she yeah she's the one Xanax, that says i can't take drunk. my own advice basically yeah yeah um so what did you think of chloe as a character uh, there there was a time where I suspected that she was she's heavily drinking and taking pills at the same time and etc going through all the things you would imagine that mm-hmm. someone like her goes through and at some point I was like what are the chances that she's following in her dad's footsteps and we have an unreliable narrator we're getting all the facts just not in some sort of correct order or something yep. so I'm just like is our main speaker the killer that'd be such a cool twist 
So I had that going for me the entire time. I was like just waiting for it to happen. But otherwise, really interesting character. Like I, I, I felt everything she was going through. I liked everything she had to say. She comes off as a smartly written character mm-hmm. and a fully understood character for that like mental stuff she was going through. I don't know if the author has experience in all this subject matter. I imagine she does. Otherwise, she did really good research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I agree. I liked that she was an unstable voice and narrator. Um, I also like that we learned that she has a history of wrongly accusing people. So she thought her um, previous roommate had been kidnapped by her previous boyfriend. And really, they were just having an affair. And so we know that, like, she's not stable. Yeah. the pro- So the problem, not a problem with the book, but the problem, like, I had, like, as we were going through it was the coincidences started, started coming up. Like, she happened to be there during, like, one of the searches for the victims. Yeah. And then we learned more and more about her that seemed more and more weird. And then we learned her past history with, like, stalking and stuff. I I mean, it was technically stalking. There's a lot of thoughts to be had there. Mm-hmm. She had every right to be concerned about piles of blood in a bed. Yeah, yeah. But I was just like, the author, the narrator, Chloe is pointing out to us all of her coincidences. So it makes it seem like it's not a big deal. But then I was like, are we supposed to think bigger than what they're trying? Because the, coinc- the coincidences were intensely coincidental. Well, and she comes off as extremely paranoid, mm-hmm. extremely... Ter- terrified of everything um and so yeah it's hard to differentiate what is what we are reading that is her fear that she's making up and what really truly is happening to her um but i liked that because it made it like you said she's a more well-rounded character. although some of her fear that we thought she was making up not, was yeah. not made up it's so well done <laughs> um so right in the beginning we also meet her fiance, Daniel Briggs, and he is a pharmaceutical salesman, so he travels a lot. Um, but they, when they meet, they realize that, you know, her father has killed a bunch of people and um, young girls, and he had a sister who disappeared around the same time. And so they literally bond over trauma, and that's how they become a couple. Um, but neither us nor Chloe notices learns that until halfway through the book. So well, until this point, no, she he, she knew that the sister was disappeared. What she didn't know was that the sister actually exists. Yeah. Still. Um. So like they. Yeah, the drama behind that does not come out until later, yeah. and makes things very interesting. So they they bonded over trauma. Um, very quickly were like, we're going to get married. Like They like the nine, same books and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like within nine months or something. Um, and he kind of, he found her, yeah, like she was leaving, working at a hospital to go open her own practice. And he bumped into her in the car park and was like, you know, oh, murder mystery is cool, like or whatever. Like it was the meat cute of all meat cutes. It was yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't murder mysteries. It was like, um, you know, like a straight. It was book about, about murder. Yeah, like yeah. it was factual. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a Ted Bundy biography, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, <laughs> I didn't like Daniel from the start. I didn't either, and I have a few reasons why. In the beginning of the book, I thought he's my so my first. I I had Chloe. Daniel and one of the person, the brother, yep. as my suspects. And okay. I had good reason for all of them, especially for Daniel. Sure. But continue. 
No, no. Um, what I didn't like him from the start, and I didn't like that he clearly either was unaware or just didn't care fully about her needs. Like, I think anyone with two eyes could tell, she, based on what we were reading, that she was freaking out. And he just kept doing things that, like, she clearly didn't like. Um, yeah. And, I mean, they're t he's, he's leaving a lot, which is fine. That's his job. And she's aware of that. But, like, when the second set of murders starts happening, he doesn't go, like, do you need me right now? Like, you have all this trauma. And then, on top of all that, um, and again, we'll get into it, but one of her patients which I guess patient privilege, you don't know who's a patient, um, is murdered or disappears. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, like, not around at all or not, like... And she's, like, yeah. curled up in a ball, drugged out of her mind, crying and drinking, you know... But in some scenes, when he is around, he truly cares. Yeah. yeah. I just felt like they, they met by happenstance, you know, in the middle of nowhere. They had similar interests, and they latched onto each other really quickly. And it's just... It's not unheard of. They They fell in love, crushed hard. They didn't know each other as well as they should have before getting married. And they just liked each other on a surface level and just didn't care to get into it. Which, of course, there's more to that now. But that's what I thought when I first read it because the brother was like, well, you barely know each other, blah, 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 blah. Well, and she wasn't interested in the wedding planning at all. And he was like, you know, are you did or did you set up the tasting? And she's like, yeah. Definitely did. And he's like assuming, well, like that's your thing. You want it to be perfect. Yeah. So you're you're a girl. <laughs> and I didn't suspect him at all for the murder until he's also in like pharmaceuticals and stuff yeah. and he has to go on like physical business trips. And he leaves one weekend and it is the same weekend that the first girl is murdered. And then it comes up again. And then when all that dies down, he comes home. And I'm like well, it's the beginning of the book. Are they making it that obvious already? I mean, it can't be him, right? But, like, he was also gone the entire time the murders took place. Yeah. And now he's back, and surprise. So, I... Well, and she finds jewelry from one of the people who went missing in her own closet. Yeah. Um, and that is just too coincidental to forget. And she falls back asleep, wakes up, and it's gone. And now she's like, did I dream that? But I was holding it. But then he came in and the alarm was going off and maybe maybe I just didn't know. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting. I, I did, like, I knew who I thought it was from, like I said, from page 89. But every once in a while I go, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, there's maybe a, I'm wrong. It's a really good setup. And when we did get the jewelry box in, in the closet... I was like, okay, they're really making all these hints towards Daniel. There's no way unless the author is literally stupid, and I doubt that. So then I went back to my unreliable narrator, like, really, Chloe? It's in your closet? Hmm. <laughs> well, and again, the three girls that go missing in the new one is her patient, her best friend's daughter, and then the granddaughter of when they went on the tour of the wedding venue. Basically, everyone she has known or come in contact with, another coincidence. Yes. So they're like, why does, you know, you didn't know the first girl. And then after a while, she's like, wait, I did know the first girl. And Daniel was with me. And that's why, you know. So she thinks it was him, too. And she's panicking and, like, thinking she's sitting with a, a murderer all, all day. Um, 
Yeah. I actually wrote down that it was the engagement party, which happened very, very early, that Daniel threw for her that um, made me, even though I knew who I thought it was, that um, fight. So she's a, Chloe has a fight about the engagement party with her brother Cooper. And he's saying, like, you guys don't know each other. He doesn't even know that you're terrified. He doesn't know, you know, that you're doing drugs. He doesn't know what's going on with you. And in that moment, I was very much like, yeah, this is bad. Like, something's not sitting right here. Um, But I still didn't think it was him because I thought it was too obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is there's always, like, that red herring where you're like, everything points to this dude. Can't be this dude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's how I see it um but that brings us to cooper cooper davis was is chloe's brother chloe and cooper um he was 15 when their father went to prison and um he's kind of in and out but he's just kind of like this rain cloud of a human and he's like you know he wants to protect her and keep her safe um in every time we see him till we get to the end yeah, um, and obviously, so he's a big part to play in this by the end of the book. I jokingly said that it would be him, he'd be the killer, for a few tiny little minor things, but I didn't take it as a serious consideration. I moved on. But then at the end, it, it is him. And it I was him. like, bah, I jokingly said it because of these two reasons, but I wasn't serious about it, and it was him, and I can't count that. I was so, wrong. So at page 89, when I messaged you, I thought it was him or the mom but we hadn't met the mom yet. Mm-hmm. So the mom ends up being basically uh, a comatose. Like she can not speak. She can only tap her oh, fingers. No, there's such a good part of the story. And so I literally was like, be- because of something I read in the history, like her memories, I was like, it might be Cooper. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't make sense to me um, for it being the dad. And there was some things like, I mean, that clearly that's what the whole story is about. It wasn't him. Someone else is doing it. Or it's a copycat. Um, but there was things that were so specific to her that who else would know? Mm-hmm. Like, no one else was there except for her, her mom, and her brother. And I was like, at that time, I didn't think it was her at all. But she became more unreliable, so I kept second-guessing myself. But I was like, it has got to be this weird dude <laughs> who shows up, yells at her. And it was just like, I just love you so much. I want you to be okay. And then, like, leaves for 50 pages and comes back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what did you think of him? <clears throat> you did suspect him a little bit. So, what's funny, it's one of the situations where, in hindsight, it makes more sense. Because, of course, it's the character we barely ever see in the book, but we know so much about. We see most of him in the book when it's flashbacks. And we're learning yeah. with him as kids. And that is so important. And that's what that's what I was saying earlier when there are scenes that become so important, but you don't realize they are until it happens. And you're like, that's why the author was telling us what she told us. It makes well, so much sense. Yeah. So I'm guessing one of those scenes. Um, oh, I can't think of her name. One of the first girls. I don't remember her name. I should have written it down. Um, but she has like a, a dragonfly glow in the dark belly button ring. And... Chloe and Cooper are at the fair and Chloe's 12 or 11 and like looking down at it. And we have this very detailed memory Mm -hmm. and she sees her dad 
looking over at the three of them, and she assumes her dad is looking at this scantily dressed 16-year-old that his daughter is, like, all excited about, and we don't realize that Cooper is also there having that same interaction as her. Or Mm -hmm. we do realize it, but he's in the peripheral. He's not the person she's focused on. She's focused on this friend of hers, this girl. Um, And she goes into a lot of detail describing how the girl would come over in the summer and was, like, you know, in short shorts and kicking her legs and, like, all these little things that, like, make her beautiful and, um, like, alluring to the 12-year-old Chloe of, like, I want to be, you know, that movie star one day. I want to be, you know, that pretty, that... She gets to dress that way, and she smokes yeah. weed, and there's all these things that older kids do, like I that. want my makeup like hers. I want my hair like hers. Yep. <clears throat> and the whole time, Cooper is there. He's only 15, and um, she's not... Because it's from her point of view, she's not telling us those things. Um, but, yeah, he, he is the one that um is murdering these girls and her dad their dad takes the fall for it um and the mother by choice which i have a lot of thoughts on that's very interesting the mother knows um but didn't didn't tell chloe obviously the girl's 12 um like how do you say like hey so your brother's killing girls but he's gonna live with you and I'm going to know, and I'm just going to, like, not tell anybody. Um, which is probably why she, the mother tried to commit suicide and ends up in this um, home. It's, it's basically just a regular retirement home. Yeah. yeah, like nursing home, yeah. Yeah, there's, the, we, <clears throat> the story starts in present day, and then pretty quickly we take a little detour into the past, and Chloe describes the cops busting down the door and, and taking the dad. And the dad isn't surprised, so you're like, well, he knows because he's the murderer, so why would he be surprised? And as he's, getting dra- as he's getting dragged away, he looks at Cooper and he's just like, be good, serious face. But she thinks it was to her. <laughs> yeah. Or to them. Well to, to, well, to them in general, or to Cooper in general, just like, you're going to be without a father, just be good. Yeah, yeah. But that one two-word sentence changes dramatically when you know all the answers, which is crazy well done. It's such an exciting book. So... Do you think that Cooper actually went dormant for so long? Do I think he killed in the meantime? Probably not. I think it took everything in his power. I think what his dad said to him changed him. I think, like, mm. be good. Like, I'm your dad. You know what happens next. This could be your future, right? This is scary. They describe how Cooper. He doesn't want to do these things, right? He talks about how, like, there's this darkness. He literally says, there's this darkness in me. There's this yeah. cloud or whatever. And I understand that. Like, when you can't help but do something. And it could be something minor. Like, if you have, like, a food addiction, you can't help but just eat and eat till you throw up, right? So, it's like that, except you're killing people. And he's trying to do everything he's can- everything he can. He doesn't want to get in trouble. He doesn't want to be in his dad's position. So, I think he did go dormant for all those years, but that darkness just crept and crept and crept and finally poured out and he had to do it again, but he had to get help. So why do you think this is, this is possibly why part of the four stars, because I didn't have closure. Why do you think he basically was targeting his sister? Like, why would you pull, like, how did he know he wasn't at the tour of the wedding venue? So how did he grab that girl or why? 
And the only thing I could think is Chloe said, oh, this was the wedding venue and gave him the update about wedding planning. So, like, why why pull girls around his sister that when he could just pull random ass girls, you know? My, my understanding was that he did that because he wanted Daniel to take the fall so they wouldn't be together. It was like an extremely... Oh. I think that's what they were saying was he was already not okay with the... Even though he's messed up in the head... He's still watching out for his sister. Yeah. And so he did everything he can to make sure Daniel had a connection to the scenario. So that she would freak out and Daniel would get blamed for the murders. See, my thought was, and maybe this is just like one too many documentaries, but that his true like desire was to kill Chloe. But he couldn't because it's his sister and his parents. No, I didn't get that at all. It, It was, it all came down to Daniel. Okay. Yeah, I think it was all about getting Daniel to get to get blamed because he couldn't by word, by mouth, convince. Because like, they are like they argue like they they don't hate each other but they argue and they're never gonna agree on the Daniel matter. So, I think he was already gonna do the the killings anyways, or at least that darkness was creeping up, and this gave him a reason to do it again and copy. Well, I was gonna say copy his father, but it was him initially. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I think it was all about Daniel, and it gave him an excuse to do it again. That's interesting. I, I have a personal thought on, as far as coincidences go, the only thing that bothered me was the absolute, like, insane coincidence that Daniel, of all people, is the one that bumped into her during the meet-cute. That's during the meet-cute. That was the one thing that got to me, because Daniel's kind of got a connection to things as well, as far as missing no, and murder. No, he, he definitely knew who she was when he saw her. So you and think the Miki was set up? I think it wasn't set up. I think because they met in a bar first and had a bar interaction. And she said, like, oh, I'm, you know, I work at this hospital or whatever. And then I think he went and sought her out. The, no, they bumped, into, they bumped into each other first. That's when he passes on the number. And then she waits weeks to call him. And then they go to a bar? And then they go out. And that's when she spills her guts about her whole family history. And he just takes it, like... He's pretending like, oh my god, that's so horrible, but he knows the whole time. Mm. So it's possible that the bumping in was set up, but then that seems like it I seems think like he, a genuine. Maybe the bumping into each other was just happened, but I think he was more interested in marrying her and being with her because he has a deep rooted connection to the murders. Again, some sort of weird psychological connection there. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, besides the whole like. Ugh, all the people to bump into each other. It was these two with these backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But it's a book, right? So who cares? But yeah, that was my only thing. So um, let's quickly talk about the mom and dad. Dad uh, sacrifices himself to go to jail. He's in jail for, you know, 20 years at this point. Um, it's a 20-year anniversary coming up. And in his one... I don't know if it was... They watched the whole trial... And I think it was like his closing statements or whatever. He relays the, there is a darkness in me and I can't control it. It comes out at night. Um, and it's verbatim what Cooper said to him when when he realized what was going on. The father. Yeah, they took a plea deal. So he just pleads guilty and uses the whole speech. Yeah. And in that moment when Chloe and Cooper are sitting in there, you know, was it the 90s? Is this the 90s? I think so. Yeah, yeah, she's like 30 or something. Yeah, they're they're like 90s bedroom or 90s living room floor. I'm picturing them watching like the wood TVs that are like really fat. 
Um, And she is pissed. She calls her dad a coward or something. And, um, is swearing about him and Cooper's like because he's in, like the dad's in tears as he says it, yeah. but in tears for reasons we don't realize. Yeah, and so she's vehemently opposed to his actions um, and holds on to that. Like, and she describes Cooper during the dad's guilty speech, the, yeah. the darkness speech. She specifically in the beginning of the book describes Cooper as watching extremely close and intently to his father during the speech. And, like, how sad it was or whatever. And then you realize later on, it's like, no, he was watching hardcore because that was his speech. And he was just, like, mind-blowing and freaking out. Yeah. It's like, God. Um, And then the mother, like we said, she attempts to commit suicide shortly after her husband goes to prison. People are saying that she's the reason he broke because she had an affair. People are saying that... um she knew about it, that she encouraged it. Like, they become the town pariahs. People are following them home. People are throwing things in their windows. Um, and the person she had an affair with is that that girl. I just saw my notes. Her name is Lena. Yes. We were talking about with the, the belly button ring. Um, the person she, the mother had an affair with was her father. And so everyone's like, well, clearly you're the reason this all happened. Yeah. Um, and so she's just being ostracized and she tries to commit suicide and um, Chloe finds her, I believe, um, and they save her. But yeah, she has her her mind is there. Her body is gone. All she can move is her fingers and her she can eat, I believe. Um, and so she's in a home. They kind of, they visit her sometimes. They take turns. Um and she ends up being able to communicate to Chloe, which you thought was interesting. The tapping. Yeah, the well, it's very, <laughs> it's very like very a very movie or book thing to do. First of all, I feel like because she describes in one of their first visits um, in present day, like they go to see her mom, and they're pretty sure she has always thought that the finger thing was real. Like, it wasn't just mm-hmm. some sort of twitch. She's like, I think my mom responds to me with a tap during certain conversations. But then, wouldn't you try to have that conversation? Like, because she spills out the alphabet with Scrabble tiles later on, and Y for yes, N for no. But if you want to have a conversation with your mom, which, yeah, she kind of doesn't, to be honest. But I, I would have to test that theory. Like, maybe your mom wants to talk. You know she can't speak, and she's doing something with her hands let her play with letters or something. But they wait until these murderers to finally do it. And I'm just like, God, like you could have had like entire conversations with your mom. You could have like heard what she wanted to say. She could have more information. You always thought there was this thing there that she could communicate with you. And you just never took it. That's Which crazy. is extra awful because she is a psychologist. Yeah. Like and she should be able to know something's happening. And I think she does. The, the It's not the book's fault or the author's fault because it is pointed out that she kind of never wants to see her mom again. Like er, her mom is just a bad memory, like a bad photo. You know, it's like a little capsule of like, I don't want to be around that. And up until the very end where there's the possibility that the mom will die. She says that, like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to see her. And it isn't until her possible death that she's like, I was wrong this entire time for years. I should have been coming and blah, blah, blah. So I think it was a mental block of like, she's probably talking to me, but do I want to talk back? Right. So she does, um, Chloe does, um, go and see the mom and have this 
tapping conversation, but only after the mom refuses to eat. Mm-hmm. And they've had her for 20, you know, or 15 years or whatever the time frame is. And she's never done that. And now she's like, you know, murders start happening again. She stops eating. And I'm, you know, and the tapping, I guess, attests to it. But she knew who the killer was. I don't know. You know, I'm not in that position. I, I couldn't, I hope, you know, to <laughs> no one, no one I know is ever in that position. But like, I don't know that I could live in a house with my small daughter knowing that there is a murderer in the room with me. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you here shortly. I was going to say, if you were in the dad's position and you found out it was your kid killing people, could you keep that secret like he did? And could you take the fall? Like, that's the rest of your life. Like, I get that that's your kid, but like... God, like, how do you answer that question? Could you take the fall for your kid and just also let them get away with it and try to, like, he's trying, like, he's not just like, oh, cool, whatever, keep doing it. He's trying to teach his son not to do it and get rid of the darkness. Like, obviously, you don't want your son in jail for the rest of your life, even though he's, like, 12, 13, 15, whatever. But, God, could you just actively know that your son was the killer and try to stop it and not tell anyone? That is crazy. I think that... Yeah, I don't know that I could. I if murder is different. Yeah. <laughs> but for like, you know, stealing or something, I think I could take the fall and the responsibility for my child. Murder is a whole different situation and I think that if there is a child, which it happens, you know, but if there's a child who is committing murders intentionally and at this point there's seven total, that child needs serious help. Yeah. And again, it was like the 90s or something. And we think very differently now than we did then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember most of the 90s. And so I don't know that they had the wherewithal to go. Like, like where would that child go? Probably like juvenile detention. I, I don't even know how that whole system works. I do not have that answer. So, I just, yeah. And how do like going away isn't going to necessarily stop him from what he's doing. Well, I mean, he... You're not going to know. You don't have internet. Like, what jail in the 90s has internet that you can just pop on and be like, oh, is is my son committing murder today? (laughs) Like, you couldn't. There weren't even cell phones, really. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be hard. Like, he gets thrown in jail and... Just has to hope. Because they don't visit him. Chloe never visits him. Yeah. No, it's the whole... It's the situation with the mom. Um... Yeah, he gets thrown in jail and just has to hope that the words be good is what fixes everything. Yeah, that's enough. So I'm just like, God, this is insane. That's a lot of hope. He better be in there praying and I don't know. Yeah, he he has some serious love for his son in order to, to hide that from everyone. So we actually have two other, what would you call them? Like, um, distractions of possible murderers. Um, the first was really quick. It's Burt Rhodes, and that is the person the mom had an affair with. Um, His daughter was the first victim, and his job now is to install security cameras. So we have this whole situation where um, Chloe's trying to figure out who could it possibly be. She starts Googling people that were, like, an issue when she was 12. She brings up Burt Rhodes' thing. Her... um, Daniel, her fiance, sees her looking at this and goes, oh, we should install security cameras. You're right. Immediately calls him, 
And within an hour, Burt Rhodes, who, like, tor- not tortured, uh, threatened her and her family and could possibly be a murderer, is standing on her stoop trying to install these cameras and come into her house. Yep. That freaked me out, to It be freaked me out. I knew it was a distraction. I knew he was not going to be the killer. They wouldn't do this quick, all of a sudden, turn around. Yeah, it was like page Here's 50. this. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> no, there's no way, but... It's still one of those things that makes you think. And she's hiding who she is, and he's hiding the fact that he knows who she is. Yep. And it gets real convoluted, and you're like, ah, this nothing's coming of this. It's going to be like a quick, like, he said, she said sort of thing. And then... <laughs> I, I will say this scene made me hate Daniel so much. Because <laughs> I don't... I don't... I will not have someone in my house while I'm alone. Like, I'm not going to call a plumber. I will just wait it out if my husband is not here. Like, and that's just, I think everyone should do that. Like, I think everyone should have someone else there. If some random stranger is in your house, you don't talk to strangers, you know? <laughs> like, um, And Daniel was just like, yay, you're welcome. Yep. And also knowing that she's terrified of everything and panics and has patterns and like, maybe he didn't know. Maybe but, I'm But wrong, also but. the communication of like. Were you going to tell me that a man was going to show up and install security? That's what I'm saying. Like, like I just don't... You you know that there's murders, and the whole reason you're getting the security system is because of my family's past history and the surprises. And to not... That's great. You're going to you're gonna hire security, I guess, or whatever. But tell me to expect someone at the door in two hours. Yeah. Like, come on now. I just didn't like it, and it seemed very inconsiderate, and it made me dislike him, which I think was probably the point. I think he's the kind of guy that thinks he's considerate, and he's like, this is the right thing to do. It's just, it's just, it's from the heart, but it just yeah. always messes things up. It's funny. Well, it's like, you know, she could have been looking at new vacuums or something, like something totally random, and he'd be like, yep, it's at your door. Like, yep. you're welcome. I want to make you feel better, which is great. He just it does. It's, it's not, like he wants to show that on a surface level, surface level, he's the great guy. Yeah. But there's no further like care there. I guess I don't know. Um. Yeah, they they have a confrontation. Her and Bert, the uh, security camera guy, and they eventually he's like, Chloe, I know it's you. Yeah. Like stop it. Stop pretending. And um. She, like, starts asking him about it, like, about what happened. And he says, you know, do you ever wonder? And she's like, yeah, I think about your daughter all the time, every day. And he's like, no, do you ever wonder what it's like to kill someone? And he's, like, staring at her like, it's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And he just, stor- like, he finishes what he's doing or whatever and storms out. Yeah. And um, so he does install the cameras, which is great. He does his job. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, like... They have this confrontation, and then it gets in her head that, like, did he just threaten her? Now she can he can see what she's doing at all times. Like, all of yeah. this panic starts happening, and it's written in panic, which I appreciate. Like, I don't like it because then I get anxious, but if it's making me anxious, you know it's a good book. Well, and I was also wondering, like, maybe Daniel, like, obviously she was going to know someone was showing up because they were going to literally physically show up at the house, but then... Does Daniel have this Bert guy? Get because you can see all the cameras on your phone. It's very modern. You can see all the footage on your phone and, and live, real time. I'm just like, okay, so did Daniel do this out of the goodness of his heart, or did he do this because he's gonna go on these business trips and keep an eye on her and make sure she's not there for certain things while there's his killings or I don't know. It was all 
there's so many things thrown in the path that just like throw you off. Yeah. The other person that I didn't like from the start and that was, I think, there to throw us off was Aaron Jensen, a.k.a. Tyler Price. Um, And he calls her, claiming to be a reporter, or does he show up? It's a phone call in the office. He's from the New York Times. Yeah, so he says he's a reporter. He's doing a piece on the murders for the 20-year anniversary. And he says, you know, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to try and talk to your brother, your mom, and or your whole family. He doesn't say. And she ignores him, tells him to F off. And he goes and shows up to uh, the mom's nursing home. And she doesn't know. And some, when she does go visit, one of the people is like, you know, oh, Mona, you've got so many visitors this week. How fun. And she's like, my brother was here. And they're like, no, another young man who's very nice. You know, like how gossipy nurses on TV do. Yeah, it, it was very stereotypical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she realizes that it's Aaron. And she somehow very quickly decides to trust him, even though she trusts no one. And decides to use him and his credentials in her sleuthing well to be fair she sees the name in the in the logbook and gets pissed oh, and yeah. decides fine i'll meet this guy so i can tell him off mm-hmm. so we only hear we only meet him through a phone call first and then we don't hear from him again i'm like okay that was just some jackass in the beginning of the book it's there to like piss off our main character and then he he shows up in town to do the the, the physical you know the conversations and interviews and whatnot and when they finally meet in the coffee shop He's kind of being like an ass. Like he he knows he made her wait on purpose and all this other stuff. But then as they get to talking and as later scenes happen, he shows genuine care and fear. Like you, you got to be careful, whatever. And then she's having problems with Daniel. I'm like, oh wait, okay. Daniel's gonna leave the picture, and this is gonna be the guy she was quote unquote supposed to end up with. They they have more in common. He genuinely cares about her. I could not have been more wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think he did care. He was kind of forced into some things. So he, I do think he cared. Um, they, at at one point, she she has decided in her mind that it is Daniel, and she tricks Aaron into going seeing Daniel's mother. So she's never met Daniel's family. Such a good scene. And again, she uses his credentials and says, you know, we're gonna do a story about this missing girl. It happened at the same time. We're gonna we're gonna just talk to her and like doesn't explain to him, which is really rude, by the way. Um, and oh, she doesn't explain anything to anyone, and it pisses me off because she makes her life so much harder. Yeah, if she just communicated just a little bit, it would have been great. But, yeah. Um, she basically goes and says, "We want to hear about your missing daughter," and the Daniel's mother lives in squalor, and um, is clearly abused. And um, has yeah. been in this relationship forever, and um, Daniel doesn't communicate with her at all or talk to her at all, which he hadn't communicated to Chloe. He was just like, "Oh, we don't, we're not really close." Yeah. Um, and she convinces the woman to let her see Daniel's room. Oh, and the mother says, "Yeah, I always thought it was my son that got rid of my daughter, or like I always thought." He knew more than he let on, which he did. Mm-hmm. But not for murdering. Not for murdering. It was for good reasons. Yeah, he took her in and got her out of this abusive household. So the abuse, you know, was just on him and his mother and not his little sister. 
So she was 13. She disappeared. She went and lives upstate with, like, relatives or something. Friends or something. Figured yeah, I forget. Yeah. Um, and is, like, mid-30s now, married, beautiful house, kids, whatever. Like, living an amazing life that she wouldn't have had if she, she was forced to stay there. He turned 18 and he immediately moved away. Um, and because of all this backstory that this, you know, older woman has given Chloe, Chloe's like, can I see his room? And it's exactly the same as it was. She starts going through his stuff, finds a book that has um, newspaper clippings about the murders. The book. The book that fell out of her box yeah. when they first met. I don't, yeah. And that's why she picks it up and she opens it. And that's what, I think he says it's his favorite book or something yep. like that. Um, and it has all these clippings of her father's quote unquote murders, Cooper's murders. Um, and he used those as inspiration to save his sister. Um, yeah, we're, we're led to believe it's why he became a copycat killer, but he used it as inspiration for good stuff, which is actually really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and again, that's why I think he is doing things to just try and keep people happy and safe. But he doesn't know how to do it. And he's like a little stunted yeah. in that. Um, but sh- she goes out and she thanks this woman who she's been lying to this whole time. Hardest scene in the book. I can't. Oh, my God. It <laughs> and was she, so hard. What does she do? Shake her hand or touch her hand? She accidentally keeps the ring on. And so the the mother goes to, like, grasp her hands just to be like, you know. Thank you. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. to. But she's like, shit, that's. That's my daughter's ring. Yeah, she like, says going like, who are you? I gave that to my daughter for her 13th birthday when she, you know, became a teenager. Why do you have her ring? And is like yelling at her door as, as Chloe and Aaron scurry away. Could you imagine just like 30 years later or something? Like you see your daughter's exact ring on some woman's finger. Like, what do you know about her? Like, I have no idea. The police have no idea. She's crying and sobbing, trying to run after them, but they can't because she's just... She's old, old and, yeah. and fat and just like completely unhealthy. Oh my god, Super it was mean. so hard. And I did the audio of this book, so just oh, listen. They were doing the voices, and she's like fucking crying. I'm just like, oh my god. Could you imagine being in a position just that ring you haven't seen in so long, and this woman's running off who pretended to be a reporter, and you have no idea who the heck she was or why she entered your life. Well, and what's interesting is we do end up meeting, or Chloe meets the sister. And the sister said it was her idea for Chloe to have the ring so that they were somehow connected and could be like sisters, even though they never could. Which, like, at this point, the woman's grown. Like, who cares if you if your mom knows where you are? Like, just call her up and be like, hey, yeah, I run away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what's she going to do? I think it was the same as Chloe's situation. Like, it was a bad fever dream of a memory. It was a long yeah. time ago. I mean, her mom was letting her, not... her... Her mom was letting her dad beat the crap out of her. Yeah. And not doing anything. So definitely trauma. Definitely you know um and also daniel is now suspected as a murderer by her so what is he gonna do yeah yeah um and so aaron is privy to all of this um and they have this confrontation with the mother they go back to this hotel room because um, chloe is too afraid to stay at her house and then they have sex (laughs) Well, there was a lot of lead up and, and emotion that led up to that point, but it still it still caught me off guard. She Daniel's touch was revolting to her, especially at this point when yes, she's like, yeah. and he was caring and there, and even when she lied to him, he was still there to comfort her. 
And I think it was just emotions running high, and it happened in a hotel room. It was like... <laughs> so I will say, yeah, they, they have intercourse, and then um, he gets up to, like, leave, and he... Whereas everyone else in the story has questioned her prescription bottles, he said, no, why don't you take two? And in that moment, I went, oh, it's not Cooper. It's this crazy dude. (laughs) And why is he drugging her with these heavy, heavy drugs and leaving? Like, that seems so, like, based on who I thought he was up until that point, I was like, oh, he's not who I thought he was. Well, I was kind of like, oh, how dare you, bad influence. But I was like, well, he's just trying to, like, get on her level. She basically wants to kill herself at this point, And she's dead tired. And he's just like, well, then just take two instead of one. You know, just sleep it off. Like, just get your energy back. Get ready for the next part of whatever this crazy story is going to bring us. I so just, I thought it was weird. And I was like, ah, bad influence. But it was worse than that. I just pictured him as being like... Because I didn't know what was coming. Yeah. I just, in my brain, he was like the squeaky clean, like, almost like a nerdy kind of oh, guy. Oh, yeah, he's kind of described that way Yeah, a that bit. she's just dragging along for this ride of crazy that she's on. And it didn't match. Like, why would this, like, you know, very put together New York reporter, which he wasn't, um give her, say, take extra when everyone else, like, it comes up a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was it's one like, of those, huh. it's one of those smart, you know, connections. You yeah, yeah. You're just like, well, based on the pattern, because they do every tiny little detail. It all adds up. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. Um, And so she wakes up, she's all groggy and confused. And she's like, where would, um, she gets a call from, or she has like 10 missed calls from her family and friends. And her best friend's daughter is missing. And she's like, holy crap, I know where they're going to go. But she was out. Didn't she sleep through like two three days, days two, two days? days. Yeah. I was just like, D- girl, did you pee yourself? <laughs> um, <laughs> so she starts thinking like, where would you go at this point? She thinks it's Daniel. So she thinks she's going to confront Daniel. And she realizes the only place she can go is go home to, like, her home where the original murders were committed. Childhood home. Yeah. Because yep. no one's there. The only people who know that it, like, exists are her, Cooper, Daniel. And, of course, when they're dri- when she's driving alone to that old town, that old town where everyone knows each other, they describe it as a flicker in the dark, all the lights in the distance. Yeah. And that's what the whole, um, that's the name of the book. Yeah, yeah. So, that, I don't know, I like that. Because I was waiting for it. I was like, I still don't know why this is called a flicker in the dark. And it is about the hometown the whole time. Yeah, so we find out in that moment um, that, like I said before, Aaron is actually Tyler Price. And he was a guy who was coming to, like, gawk at... He was Cooper's friend. He was a nobody. He call, He tells her um, that she, he's a nobody. And um, when he was coming to, to the house when they were kids, she, like, bursts, you know... So someone, Cooper ran out to confront him and he was like, who, who do you think you are? And he said, I'm nobody. And so this kid that's been, you know, Cooper's ride or die for 20 years has been helping him commit these murders. What I, one of my favorite parts about the reveal that he's not the reporter is that I was like, okay, but he had like a legit 
website and stuff. Like yeah. you could see, and I like how we found out like the photo was like this small little photo on the on like the bottom of the web page. In the beginning of the book, he's described as like the the typical whatever reporter, just some skinny guy in glasses, whatever. And then when he comes up in person in the beginning of the book, she's like. Oh, actually, that picture must be old because he's looking kind of good. He yeah. got muscles. He got a little built since that picture was taken. And she got distracted by, like, the attractiveness part. And we should have been like, maybe that's not him. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't put it together. But she, she finds him at the old house. And she sees this child she knows who's drugged, not dead. And... She pulls out her gun. She shoots him. Mm-hmm. Because you know she's she's carrying. Well, so here's what's interesting about doing audiobooks. I can't see how many pages are left. I don't know how much of it the timer yeah. is left for credits and everything else. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, final showdown. The reporter who's not the reporter. And then it happens. And the gun goes off. And then he's dead. And the book keeps going. Mm-hmm. And the book keeps going. And I'm like, wait a second. Something else must be getting ready to happen. And I don't know what the heck it is. <laughs> So she talks to Aaron slash Tyler. She saves this little girl and she figures it out. And we jump to her in her kitchen with her drugs and her wine waiting for her brother to visit. And she's sitting there and she's, you know, he comes in thinking like, oh, she's like effed up right now. Um, And... In reality, she is about to serve him a big old piece of humble wine. (laughs) (laughs) Humble wine? Fair enough, yes. The wine is involved. Um, So she's figured out that it's Cooper. Um, Through the help of her mother's tapping, through the help of this fake reporter, um, through the kids. And even little details again, like, they said it in the book many times, like, how he trusts her with the key to the house and stuff. Or she trusts him with the key to the house. And that big dramatic scene where he's like, clearly you don't care. Here's the key to your house back. And like, they made a big deal out of that. And I never put it together. (laughs) Yep. And um, so she pours wine for him, wine for her. They're talking. And she's literally going, I know it was you. Here's why I know. I put it all together. And he goes, like, you're going to keep it quiet though, right? And she's like, no, Uh, like they all know they're watching you right now. The police are watching you. They know it was you. You just admitted to it. And he goes to try and kill her. But she did what he did to all of his victims and drugged him with the in the wine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he is put in jail. Her father is let out of jail. Um, She and Daniel break up. She lives in this nice, cute little house by herself. But that showdown was epic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I've I've got pretty big balls. <laughs> no, I, what's a better way to say that? That works. That's fine. Um, yeah, I I will do a lot of stuff, but I don't know that I could look this person in the eye, that has been the only person that I thought I could trust, for my whole life, and again put the one person you love. In prison. Mm-hmm. Like, I could do it, but she did it with a smile on. She, and the way the author did the voices, like, she kept, like, a casual conversation yeah. so that it wouldn't seem obvious. And I'm like, God, I could not be in your situation. You know everything. He could do anything. You're hoping, like, 
assuming, well, I'm his sister. He wouldn't possibly, right? Like, uh, God, yeah. Well, I think she she's taken so much of that those drugs and so much wine with those drugs that she knew exactly how fast it was going to kick in. I think she was just ready for it to be over and she was going to do whatever it took to finish this. And granted, the cops were outside and couldn't come Cops in. were outside, but if something happens in a split second, something yeah. happens in a split second. Uh, and we didn't know the cops were outside and so no. the drugging happens. Yeah. So we think it's just the two of them. And I'm just like, you're dumb. You came here dating to confess <laughs> and you knew... Do you have a plan here? Like, I know you're pouring him a drink. I didn't suspect, like, any drugging. No, but I, didn't. I was like, I don't know. Like, maybe you have some sort of plan. But. No, for a half. For a half second, I thought she was going to be like, yeah, I'll just pretend this isn't happening. All I could think about was she would say, yes, I'll keep your secret. Yeah, and yeah. then go to the cops. But I'm like, well, would the brother believe that? I like, mean, how long was she going to hold that secret? Don't matter. They heard everything on that fancy new security system. I know. Thank goodness for Bert. <laughs> like,. Yeah. It's funny. Daniel is overall a really nice guy, and a lot of what he does helps yeah. inadvertently solve the mystery. So I'm, I'm kind of sad it couldn't work out, but it clearly wasn't meant to be. But at least, yeah. like, he wasn't a bad person. No, I'm glad that there was some redeeming characteristics for him. Um, I mean, he was there to watch the whole showdown, too. He was right, but he was with the cops. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that now she is also a killer, though, because she killed the fake reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just wonder if that changes her perspective at all. Even if I had to kill somebody because they were a bad person, like if I was in that situation, I still can't. I don't know how how I would live with myself no, knowing I don't that I think killed I somebody. Could. Like it could be the worst person on the planet. Like that's still something you did. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Also, something I thought of too, going back to the title, is I thought she was the flicker in the darkness until mm. they said it because it was toward the end. I just thought she was the only one. Who was like, because my first theory was the dad originally did it and Cooper was at the 20 year anniversary now doing it, um, copycatting, but it was him the whole time, obviously, as we said. Um, And the mother had her issues. So I was like, maybe she's the only (laughs) non-murderer. My only thought was very generic. After I realized it wasn't the vampire book, I was like, well, flicker in the dark. Maybe something is just going to be like about hope, you know, a light in in some hopeless situation. But no. (laughs) So you said this is one of your favorite books. Is I assume five stars. I gave it five stars. Definitely one of my favorite books of the year so far. It's... It is a rare book, and I say this knowing that The Martian is now doing the same thing for me, but it's a rare book that, even though I'm reading words on a page, it feels like I'm watching a movie, like my heart rate accelerates, I need to know more, like it's all just coming to a head, like I feel legitimately energized by it, like I like I need to know more, mm-hmm. and The Martian is doing that too, these, thr- these thriller books are so good, but it's one of those rare books that does that, it's very, very, I can't tell you the last time I read a book like that, um... And I think for it's going to be a while before she writes something else, I'm sure. Yeah. But we have to do whatever her next book is. Agreed. Um, <laughs> I did say four out of five because now that I know the end, I don't know that I could ever read it again. But I will definitely read more of her books in the future and highly recommend to people who, who even like don't read that genre because it was so interesting. Um, I'm I'm your living example. I mean, I don't read yeah. books like this. Um, and I also say four out of five because I did guess it. 
And I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> so there was enough for me to know. But I was, I have, I do read a lot of these books. So I was aware of like, there is a ha- red herring. There is going to be distractions. But there was something I didn't like about Cooper the whole time. So, But see, what's funny is I... I would give it a high review because you could guess. Like, the fact that you knew going into it as you picked up on little subtle hints and stuff. Like, I think it's important that you can guess it in a book. Because when you get an ending, like, we read that that cozy mystery novel. Like, mm-hmm. a Irish Christmas or whatever. Yeah, it was a random. And that's one of those mystery novels where I couldn't have guessed it because there's so many characters. And it gets so crazy and convoluted. It's like, I had to ask you questions on the ending. I was like, well... Why was it this in particular? Why was it that in particular? This, it was like solid. You know exactly why. There is no stone left unturned. I thought it was so well done. And if you can guess it while you read it, that means it was well written. Yes, it was very well written. Or extremely poorly written because it was too obvious, but it wasn't. No, this was very well written. And I agree. It was very well thought out. And um, it, it was a work of art. She had to have a crazy person board on her wall, like to for all oh, the little yeah. the yarn going to each picture and thing. Because I'm just like, the more I rewound it in my head, the more I was like, dang, she set that up. Like yeah. that is insane. Well, There's like three false endings to this book. <laughs> well, we are in luck because we are staying on theme. Yes, I'm so excited now. Our next book is called Falling by T.J. Newman, and um, I have started it. And I messaged you after the prologue, which I think is like eight pages or something. And I was like, oh, this is a ride because just the prologue had me excited. All I want to say is, so this book takes place on a plane. It's, it's all it's all on an airplane. It's a thrill. I, I, I know very thriller. little. It's, it's a, a thriller, thriller book. I'm hoping this book is what bullet train should have been (laughs) like it all takes place on this the singular vehicle the singular room and it's a big mystery thriller and i hope this is what bullet train should have been well so far it is fast paced and exciting and i'm only on like chapter three so i'm excited to talk about that next time um and probably balance it out with some more bridgerton (laughs) yeah i've got a few books planned i I don't know what order i'm going to read them in but I guess it'll be a surprise for next time. Well, in the meantime, please rate and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. Follow us at PaperQuest Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And leave us a comment so that we know what books you're reading and what books we should read in the future. Our Facebook does have the uh, the, the schedule for all upcoming episodes. And we also do a $1 Patreon for early episodes and general support of the show. Until next time. Bye. Bye.